Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of Kumo tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Welcome in. Good morning. It is Monday, and I hope your week is going spectacularly well so far. This is the Fox Sports Radio studios brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com for a free rate quote. As well, always important to remember your car's needs now come with a reward. With the AutoZone Rewards Program, spend $20 five times and earn a $20 reward. So sign up today, get in the zone, AutoZone, always on a roll here, and uh, always enjoy hanging out with you guys. And my God, the NBA remains an unbelievable mess. Last night, Mark Stein dropped a piece on ESPN.com, which I think is going to get quite a bit of attention today. And there were several details in it that were pretty wild. Among them, uh, that this is not a surprise because we knew this conversation has been going on for a while. But the Cavs and the Pacers continue to have conversations about Paul George. Now, I think Indiana probably put itself into an awkward position when they did not make a trade before the NBA draft because what kind of value can you now get for Paul George? I mean, I guess you could get future year draft picks, but it's a lot harder to know exactly what those picks will be when you don't know how those seasons are going to go. So they could be contingent picks. They could be real picks. Uh, It's a lot of uncertainty. Also, every day, I would say the value of Paul George goes down a little bit more. That's my opinion, because once the season starts, you're renting him for an even shorter period of time. It's even more difficult to figure out what you're going to do. But according to that ESPN.com report, The Cavs and the Pacers are still discussing a Paul George trade. 
that Denver would be the third team involved in that trade and that somehow Denver might end up with Kevin Love. So that in and of itself is a bit of a mystery exactly what that trade would look like. But as part of that situation, this is only one of all of the stories that are kind of playing out right now in the NBA as we come up on the start of free agency early in July when guys can go sign with a new team. The official new year for the NBA, I believe, begins on July 1, which is, if I'm not mistaken, Saturday. So this week, potentially a lot of different uncertainty and excitement in a week when otherwise there aren't a ton of sports news going on. And by the way, we're going to have an incredible Tebow watch at the final part of this hour. If you haven't heard, Tim Tebow promoted to single A, a new franchise there in minor league baseball. Final hour of the show, special Tebow watch coming for you as Tim Tebow is now promoted. But I'm looking at this season coming up for the NBA. And as I've talked about before, and we're going to talk with Todd Furman later in this show about it, there has never been a team in pro sports in American history that is as prohibitive of a favorite right now as the Golden State Warriors are to win the 2017-2018 NBA title. And as a result of that, the NBA regular season, which already was under assault last year, is likely to be even more irrelevant than it was last year. The NBA playoffs, if the Warriors are anything like they were this past season when they went 16-1, and also looking like they don't matter as much. So I was jotting down on, uh, on my uh, always handy notebook here what I thought the best case scenario for the NBA was. And so with four major free agents or guys that we believe are on the trading block and Paul George out there, I believe that if Adam Silver were given truth serum and said exactly what he believes, then these four things need to happen. First of all, Paul George needs to go to the Cavs. And already, in addition to that report out on ESPN.com, is the possibility that the Cavs are holding out hope that Carmelo Anthony gets a buyout from the New York Knicks and is able to sign anywhere because the Cavs believe they could end up signing Carmelo Anthony. So if you toss that in, there's a good chance the Cavs get Dwayne Wade because probably likely Dwayne Wade's going to get bought out by a rebuilding Chicago Bulls team as well. If Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony both got bought out, then we could see a situation where both those guys try to go join the Cavs, depending on how the financial ramifications could work, and potentially Paul George could be on the team. That's an NBA super team. That's an NBA super team. I'm still not sure if they're as good as the Warriors, but the Cavs could have at least stepped their way up. So the first thing that needs to happen is Paul George probably needs to go to the Cavs in order for the Cavs to get better, at least have some semblance of possibility that they're going to be able to take down the Golden State Warriors. Chris Paul also needs to go to the Spurs. Apologies if you are an L.A. Clippers fan, but the Clippers have reached their ceiling. They're not going to advance and challenge the Golden State Warriors in the West. It's time to break up that team. Chris Paul to the Spurs makes the Spurs, I think, a much more competitive challenger for the Golden State Warriors. In fact, Chris Paul to the Spurs may make, I think it's fair to say, would probably make the Spurs the second-best team in the NBA and make them the second most likely team to win a title, even though they would have to get past the Warriors in the NBA Western Conference. All right, what else could happen? Blake Griffin also needs to leave the Clippers, and if he went to the Thunder, it would be fascinating to see how Chris Paul, I mean, sorry, how Blake Griffin and Russell Westbrook would be able to work together. Blake Griffin went to college at Oklahoma. If he went to the Thunder, 
that would be good for the NBA's Western Conference competition. And finally, Gordon Hayward needs to leave the Jazz and go to the Celtics. I think all of those things happening, those four most prominent guys who are kind of in play right now. I know there's other guys out there who are free agents or potentially in play, but I don't think they really move the needle in terms of making teams substantially better. So if Adam Silver could wave his magic wand and make the NBA relevant in terms of finding contenders to compete with the Golden State Warriors, Paul George to the Cavs, Chris Paul to the Spurs, Blake Griffin to the Thunder, and Gordon Hayward to the Boston Celtics would make all four of those teams better and make them more likely to be able to step up and challenge the existing Golden State Warriors dynasty. Now, I'm not sure if Boston would be better than the Cavs. I don't think they would, but you would also get a more competitive Eastern Conference uh, Finals. You, in theory, would have a lot more better teams in the West as well, with the Spurs and the Thunder both getting substantially better. We already know the Timberwolves are better. There's a lot of things that could still come into play here. But again, the big report coming out last night that the Cavs and the Pacers are still talking about a trade for Paul George that would have Kevin Love going to Denver as the third team in a three-way trade. Also reports that the Cavs are holding out hope that Carmelo Anthony, whose trade value continues to be negligible, would potentially be given his buyout by the Knicks, which would allow him to theoretically sign with the Cavs. Same thing they're hoping for Dwayne Wade. Would that be enough to get the Cavs over the hump? I mean, that's kind of an intriguing question, right? To me, the biggest story here is not necessarily that the Cavs and the Pacers are still talking about Paul George. It's that potentially Carmelo Anthony could go join the Cavs and play with his good friend, LeBron James, before they began, uh, before they became hashtag future Lakers, of course. So there is much to get into today as sort of these details continue to unpack themselves. Like I said, we'll talk about Tim Tebow getting promoted, final segment of the hour here. Tim Tebow promoted to a new minor league club. We will continue to unpack all of this NBA trade drama and what the impact of it could be. We'll talk a little bit about Lonzo Ball to the Lakers. We're going to be joined next segment by my guy Jason McIntyre. He is on television on FS1 for Speak for Yourself. He also runs the big lead, and he does a weekend show here on Fox Sports Radio. We'll see what he thinks about these four guys. Where will they end up? Does it make sense to the NBA? Does he agree with me that the NBA really needs these guys to move? Also, I hope that we have as good of a show. Probably not going to happen, but I hope we have as good of a show as Jordan Spieth's excitement was on that on that chip-off, oh, basically uh, extra hole playoff win. How awesome was that to see a little bit of excitement from golf? Uh, not sure that we'll have this good of a show as Jordan Spieth's uh, chip was, but that's the uh, kind of excitement we're going for here, and we'll break down all of that and more. But up next, it's going to be Jason McIntyre. What does he think about my idea here of where these four guys need to go in order to make the NBA great again? Does he believe that Paul George will end up on the Cavs and more. We'll discuss that with Jason McIntyre up next on Outkick the Coverage. Welcome in Monday edition here on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Hope your Monday is going well because we got great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. I bring in now Jason McIntyre. He runs The Big Lead. Great website, thebiglead.com. He also hosts a show on Fox Sports Radio and he appears on Speak for Yourself. A great FS1 show with Colin Cowherd and Jason Whitlock. I'll start off there. Which of those three jobs 
gives you the most difficulty in terms of the amount of time it takes? I mean, because you do oh, something that very few yeah. people do, right? You do radio, well, you do TV, good, and you do writing. That's a good question. I mean, I really think, you know, the two of us are, we might be the only people trying to juggle all three. I know you're on TV a lot. You also do radio and the web. I would say, you know, I, I think radio, I'm only doing one day a week. Radio is kind of self-contained because you can, you know, for a weekend show, you can be like, all right, by Wednesday I have an idea. It's nothing big breaks. Here's what my lead is. Um, the web is kind of feed the beast, which can be annoying. You know, you know that, right? Yes. You kind of got to gotta have content all the time. In July is a dead zone. Okay, that's a word. So you have to come up with wacky lists and do all that. And, and TV is the, the most fun, obviously, you know, because you're in front of the camera and you get to goof around. Uh, I would, I guess the web would probably be the toughest, especially with what's going on now, Clay. It's like, you know, you open your phone and it's like, all right, let me check out Instagram. And then you spend 10 minutes scrolling through, you know, attractive women yeah. on Facebook. And it's everybody's summer trips, you know, or what have you. And then, you know, it's like after you go to the app, then it's like, oh, let me check out what's on Twitter and websites. So I feel like I don't, the, the web, I don't know that it's dying, but Twitter to me has just been kind of weak lately. I mean, it was kind of fun for the NBA, like, you know, the rumors and stuff, but, it, you know, I, this this past weekend, I barely went on it, and I and I found my life to be actually really enjoyable. Um, but I don't know, what do you, you, you kind of agree the web is the toughest? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question, because I get that a lot, and there aren't very many people who do all three, and we're talking to Jason McIntyre, the big lead. Well, the way I've always described it is, there's a reason why you don't see people go, TV to radio to writing. Now, occasionally a TV person will write a book, but usually it's with somebody associated with them working on it. You know, it's not usually them sitting there and grinding. I think it's tougher. I think writing is the toughest. I think radio is the second toughest. And I think that TV is the easiest. And, I, and I, the reason I give that as an example, and I always tell people who ask about the difference between all three mediums is, and you know this, on TV you have a ton of brilliant people. And I worked a lot at FS1, Fox Sports, ton of brilliant people out there helping you make arguments. You know, like, oh, you like this idea, Jason? Well, let me bring you these five facts that can make your argument even better, right? Um, with writing, in my experience, and I've been writing online since 2004, which makes me kind of a dinosaur at times. You sit down in front of a blank computer screen, and you have to make sense of the world around you, typically with nobody else to help you. And then with radio, I mean, look, it's Monday here. I can do a really good Monday show, and then I've still got 12 hours of shows to do the rest of this week, right? When I was doing yeah. television, I would love it. We'd do like a half-hour segment sometimes, 23 minutes with commercial breaks. We'd get done, and they'd be like, that was fabulous. That was incredible. If I do a really good 23 minutes on radio – I've still got two and a half hours and 37 minutes to go, right? I mean, on an individual show. Yeah, no, so it, it's just like a volume. And so they're all a little bit different. You can't take necessarily any lesson and apply it anywhere, except that, you know, opinion matters, I think, across the board everywhere. And also your ability to determine what good stories are. And we kind of see it on the web because you get that immediate feedback of people may say, oh, I don't know why you're talking about Tebow. And we're going to talk about Tebow here in a minute. But it, when you <laughs> see the click throughs, you'll be like, you can see why I talk oh. about Tebow. And people say, totally I don't know why easy. you're talking about NBA free agency. I hate the NBA. Nobody cares. And then you look at the return on articles about NBA free agency and you're like, no, people care a great deal. So you, the, the web kind of gives you a sense, even though people sometimes say they don't care of what they actually do care about. Yeah. Now, that's, a, that's a great point. And, and remember, you know, when you go to do your TV hit, you know, they'll look at, oh, here's, what, here's a story in this, this, uh, this outlet, and here's another story. What do you think? Can we make a stronger opinion from here or there? It's, it's TV's taking its cues 
from schmucks like us who write on the web and get creative with stuff where, where you know, you're doing an outkick mailbag or I'm coming up with wacky LeBron through the Lakers ideas. And then those things get translated to TV. That's what a lot of people who watch these shows don't even know. If you watch PPI, you know, Monday afternoon, and you had been reading all the websites, you know, uh, the big lead and whatever other websites you read, you're going to see the exact topics that were covered. Yes. On the web, and they're just translated to PTI. It's almost like a carbon copy. They essentially are like, hey, Mike Wilbon and Tony Kornhauser can make things interesting. So we're just going to take all your cool ideas from the web and put them right on TV. All right. So I started off the show talking about an interesting idea. Um, it is this, that the NBA desperately needs the four biggest names in free agency or, you know, like that potentially could be moving to move. I think they need Paul George to go to Cleveland. I think they need Blake Griffin to go somewhere, potentially to Oklahoma City. I think that Chris Paul to the Spurs makes sense, and Gordon Hayward to the Celtics makes sense. In other words, if all four of those guys re-upped and stayed for the entire season, and in Paul George's case, obviously just finished out his tenure there, if Paul George Mm -hmm. stays with the Pacers, if Blake Griffin stays with the Clippers, if Chris Paul does the same and Gordon Hayward stays with the Jazz, there's zero drama about can somebody catch the Warriors. I'm not sure anybody can catch the Warriors if those guys move, but if I'm Adam Silver, I'm rooting for them to move because it at least gives oh. us more storylines and help. You agree or disagree? To totally. Uh, and, Clay, the thing I keep coming back to about the NBA, no league can sell hope like the NBA. I mean, right now all these teams, you know, I know it was a lopsided finals and the Warriors steamrolled everybody, but right now like a dozen teams think we can get Superstar X. Well, maybe we're in the mix for that, and then we make a run at the Warriors, right? So a lot of teams think, oh, the draft, hey, man, you can build through the draft. And frankly, if you think like the 76ers, I mean, Clay, we just witnessed the Sixers four years of tanking, and it's now paid off. I know they had injuries. Noel was hurt, and Embiid was hurt, Simmons was hurt. Dude, right now the Sixers, they're, they're a playoff team in the East, and they got three awesome guys, assuming they're healthy, under 24. They can sell hope to their fans. So what happened last week? They sold 14,000 season tickets in a day. Like shattered a franchise record all based on hope. So draft, free agency. I mean, right now, dude, the Lakers have been awful. Kobe Bryant ruined this franchise. Nobody wants to talk about that. Kobe, nobody wanted to play with him. He drove people out, drove Dwight Howard out. You know, total disaster for Kobe. But the Lakers now, well, hey, maybe we get Paul George. And then we get LeBron next year. And all of a sudden, Laker fans are hopeful again. And meanwhile, across town, it's like, hey, Clippers, geez, we should just blow it up and, and start over. you know. And, and that can be hopeful, too. I, I, would, I would tend to think that your Gordon Hayward to Boston thing is on, on the money. And, Clay, think about this. Gordon Hayward goes to Boston. They won 53 games with no star, one of the best coaches in the league, and they got a top three pick. And they got future number ones coming in. LeBron played 14 years with no injuries. I mean, the two guys drafted in his top five, right? Chris Bosh is out of the league. Dwayne Wade's a shell of himself, and Carmelo's fading fast. Do we really think LeBron can keep this up? Clay? I mean, Clay, do you think he can? No, I mean, I, I, I think that's a fantastic question. We're talking to Jason McIntyre of the Big League. What I have been saying is you mentioned Kobe and how he killed the Lakers. LeBron James is going to turn 33 next year. He's, got, he's going to opt out after that year and go somewhere else. Do we really believe that LeBron at 34, 35, 36, 37, and potentially 38, unless he immediately surrounds himself with a great cast of characters, is not going to be an awful lot like what Kobe was in his final years 
as it basically became a prolonged goodbye and torpedoes the franchise that he's with? Phenomenal point, and and I wonder if teams would still be willing to take the chance. Now, the one thing we know about LeBron that's different is his body. He's like, you know, call Superman. body with John yeah. Wall's speed, right? He's a cyborg. And Kobe, kind of like, a, what was he, 215, 205? I mean, he's kind of, you know, 6'6", obviously, big dude, but he never, like, LeBron can find a new uh, spot late in his career by being Mr. Guy on the block. Who's going to guard me on the, on the block, you know? I'll go to work on whatever big guy you got. And you surround him with shooters like Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, uh, maybe Paul George. And, and, yeah, LeBron could be deadly as hell for, like, a, you know, I don't know if he could do it at 38. Um, the thing that the, – the, I know people are sick of Jordan versus LeBron, but remember, Jordan took a year and a half off to go play baseball, like, in his prime. So, of course, he was able to carry the Bulls to three more titles in 35-36, right? Not to mention that he didn't get to the league until he was 21. You know, I mean, again, he, he didn't have that, that, that tread on the tire, so to speak, from playing in college basketball the same way that he would have if he'd gone straight to the league at 18. Um, we're going to take a break here, I think, and go to trending. Then I want to bring, bring you back on the other side. I want to ask you about Tebow. But I also want to ask you about whether you buy into the fact that super teams are good for the NBA, which has been a big yes, point yes, of yes. contention. We'll hit both of those. But first, let's find out what's trending now. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. As well, with True Car, and I was just out at their offices in Santa Monica, and they are fabulous overlooking the Pacific Ocean there on Ocean Avenue in Santa Monica. You can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We're talking to Jason McIntyre, the big lead, speak for yourself, as well as Fox Sports Radio. He does all three. Um, and Jason, you live in Manhattan Beach now. You live out the, the left coast lifestyle there, so to speak. Is it hard not to fall in love with the idea that the Lakers could be good again? Oh, certainly. I mean, listen, I, the first game I ever went to as a, as a young kid was Lakers-Knicks uh, at the Garden in New York. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. These teams are fun. And I was born in New York, so I instantly liked both teams. The next year, my dad had a business trip in L.A. We went to the forum, the old forum, and watched Lakers-Knicks again. And it was like, this is amazing. So I lo- I've loved the Lakers for a long time. Kobe kind of drove me away. I, I know a lot of Kobe fans out there. I just couldn't buy into that guy. I don't know, man. He, you know, you know Kobe's history. I just never really bought in, and I kind of went away. But now I'm definitely back. Took the kids to a game last year. And listen, they need to be the league. The league needs the Lakers to be good. Play. You know, I mean, league leagues are not thrilled with the Jimmy Butler trade. You know, in a pinch, you can just put Chicago on. Right, they're a big market. They work for the league. What do you saw in Minnesota now? How many Timberwolves fans are there outside of Minnesota? Like a dozen, maybe? <laughs> so, you know, the super team stuff, there's definitely something to it. I personally think it's good. And I know uh, you're on the other side. You, you think it's terrible. But l- let me just quickly put, point this thing out. When I look at, like, the breakdown of the super teams, the Warriors and the Cavs, I mean, everybody's chasing them. There, there's drama in we need to get on that level. And I believe America loves greatness, right? We love Tim Tebow, who was a great quarterback. We'll get to him in a sec. We love Tiger Woods rampaging through golf and strippers, and so to speak, later in his career. But we, we just love those dominant Yankee teams. We love the 100-win Cubs last year. What a great story. We love dominance. So why all of a sudden do we not love super dominance in the NBA? 
I think the challenge with super dominance in the NBA is this. It's that even when the Patriots are 18-0, and everybody out there who's an NFL fan knows that the Giants can win the Super Bowl. Not that they might, you know, not that they're probably not going to, even though we saw them do it. It's that you understand that their dominance can be, you know, like, like a balloon, a needle can go into it, and all that hot air can explode in an instant, right? The problem with dominance yeah. in the NBA is, and even in baseball, right? If you get one pitcher who's hot and that pitcher pitches two games and doesn't give up any, very many runs, even a team that's not as good, like we've seen all these teams that win 100 games not perform that well in the postseason. The challenge with basketball is it's really hard for an inferior team to win a four-game, you know, a, win four in a seven-game series. And I think that's the way I approach it, right, is that the Cavs were not really that close to being competitive. They had to play the greatest game maybe offensively in the history of the NBA playoffs to win one game against the Warriors. And so for me, like, I enjoy watching the Warriors play, but I would love to see them challenged, and I just don't think we're going to see it this year. Yeah, no, those are really valid points. And, it's you know, it's a bit frustrating that nobody else in the league can get on their level. But I'm sure you saw the stories last week about Iguodala, right? Yes. If he says, hey, you know what? It's late in my career. I need to go get paid. I'm going to go be that veteran in Philly, uh, you know, and I'm going to provide some leadership, and they're going to give me $18 million a year. Then all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, they still have Durant and Clay and Curry, but that's a stud defender who could check LeBron, who would always go to the opponent's best player and at least kind of put 20 good minutes on him. Now you got to put, what, Durant, Clay, and there's just less room for error. Listen, Kevin Durant's injury history is ugly. Okay, I, I'm a huge fan. I think he's the best player in the league. Yes, better than LeBron. But the injury history is a little scary, and he could go down at any moment. You know, the, the, the guy—he's a freak. He's what seven feet tall, and he's still rail thin at like 28 years old. I mean, I just hope he's healthy and they can make a run. But uh, I don't know if anybody's catching. Him. We're talking to Jason McIntyre. He does television, Speak for Yourself on FS1. He does a radio show here on the weekend as well as right at the Big Lead. You're a dad. I'm a dad. You've got a young family. I've got a young family. Lonzo Ball gets drafted. LeVar Ball has obviously been in the news as well. Where do you come down on LeVar Ball? You probably have met him on the set there at FS1 as well. We've had him on the show. <laughs> yeah, no. Dude, I'm kind of circling on, I was, I was around. Show, yeah, show yeah, that day. That went after Leahy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he's an intimidating figure. What, what's really embarrassing for that guy is he's the guy who makes it big but still hangs around with his buddies from the neighborhood. So he rolls around with like an entourage of three or four dudes who are like five foot four. From like you know, Lavar's from Compton, so these guys are from Compton, and they run their mouths a lot. And Lavar's a big dude, like six seven, three bills, and he's got these tiny little guys running around yapping. It's kind of embarrassing for him. You know, it's not a great look for him. But personally, listen, everything he's done has helped his son. I know it's it, the optics are bad when he's saying his son's better than Curry, and his son's it would be the, you know the MVP of the NBA or whatever, but. He's kind of helped his son get where he is. He said the Lakers thing was going to happen. He held him out of workout. Like, kind of working for LeVar Ball. I know that's not a good precedent to set. Hey, man, when your kid starts blowing up at baseball or soccer, you know, are you going to be, hey, you know, it worked for LeVar Ball. Should I try this? I mean, how many dads are sitting around thinking that now? Yeah, what I would say about LeVar Ball, and I said this on the show last week, is I don't think his performance is ideal as a parent. But when I watched the NBA draft on Thursday night, it was a cliche, and it always has been a cliche, how often NBA draft picks in particular, and young black kids in general, are growing up in single-parent households, right? And time after time, we, we saw them interviewed, and they said, well, my mom had to do both, both sides of the equation. And my response as I was watching that was, 
you can criticize LeVar Ball a lot, but he's a helicopter parent, right? He is the parent who is over-involved no matter where they are, right? The kind of parent who's texting or or FaceTiming, hyper-aware. And is there any doubt at all that if you had to choose, I mean, again, you're not saying that somebody's like the Goldilocks parent where you're there the right amount of time. I think about this kind of what your parenting style is going to be as well because I've got three kids, nine and under, um, three boys just like LeVar Ball did. But it's much better to be over-present than it is to be not present at all, right? And yet, it seems to me that we have criticized LeVar Ball to a tremendous extent for being over-present, which, in the grand scheme of things for an athlete's life, is definitely the flaw you would prefer by far over not being there at all. Oh, 100%. There's no doubt about that. Listen, man, I'm the guy who goes to my kid during this soccer program out here at the LA Galaxy, right? So I go to practice, and I, like, come out of the stands and have my phone, and I'm, like, recording goals that they score. Okay? Yes. My kids will look at me after the goal and give, like, a thumbs up, like a nerdy thing. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, you know, Casey, I'm kind of that dad. But I'm, I would never go to the LeVar Ball's length to, like, embarrass they're, they're tiny. You know, they're young. But I, I will say, him being a part of everything they do is huge. You know, support for your kids is massive. Uh, positive influence, positive reinforcement. Just your dad's be Dude. Again, you mentioned we're out here in Cali. Do you know how many kids go to soccer that my kids are in, and, and all it is is nannies bringing them and nannies leaving, and the parents never go? Oh, that like, makes total I, sense, yeah. I, I, it happens, and, and, and we would never do we didn't have a nanny or anything, but, you know, I would never just skip that. I, I'm there as much as I can. Like, I don't know, man. Life is short. you got to really enjoy it and be there for your kids. I, I just keep coming back to, like, it's fun as hell. I know there's people out there who are like, kids, I'm going to hold up. I'm telling you, man, it's awesome. I know you rave about it too, right, Clay? Yeah, I do. And I coached my – look, I coached uh, – I was an assistant coach in basketball this year for my six-year-old and in baseball for my six-year-old. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see the, the different rates of parental involvement. You know, like um, – and sometimes you're like, man, I, you know, I don't know that I would go to that extreme sitting in the crowd yelling like some uh, some parents do. But in the grand scheme of things, like criticism for being overly involved is to me, you know, or helicopter parenting, which is, you know, you want to be like Goldilocks, right? The porridge that's perfect, you know, but most people are not perfect. And so if you have to choose, I do think LeVar Ball has been a little bit unfairly criticized in terms of he's overly involved, right? Like he's like the, uh, what was the uh, the Chinese, the, the the book that went public that was so wildly popular? Tiger Mom. Tiger Mom. Yeah, everybody was talking about the Tiger Moms, right? Uh, I think it was the Chinese mom and, like, how much she was demanding that her kids be involved and all these different things. And, you know, it's not ideal either, but it's certainly a lot more ideal than a totally absentee parent. 100%. I mean, it's not even, it's not even up for debate yet. All right. so we'll, we'll both side with LeVon then, for sure. we got to get to a, a quick question here at the end. I can't let you go without asking you about Tebow. Tebow uh, getting promoted to single A from the rookie league A level, basically. Um, and I'm sure that it does a lot of traffic on the big lead as well. We do Tebow watch here on the show. Some people say, why do you do it? It's because Tebow is a somebody that everybody has an opinion about. Do you think, you said you grew up on the East Coast, do you think that Tebow, even if it's just a stunt, will ever have an official major league at bat? Yes. The Mets are 11 and a half. I think it's 11, maybe 12 games out of first place in the NLE. They're fading fast. One of the worst records. They've been a disappointment. The Matt Harvey, you know, whether he's dating a model or getting hammered, whatever it is, they're going nowhere. Do you know what sells tickets in, in, in August when it's 100 degrees out, out at uh, Mets Ballpark at City Field? Tebow showing up for a weekend. Come on, right before he goes back to the SEC Network, Clay, doesn't that make total sense? I mean, remember, the, the one thing people forget, oh, Tebow's a bad quarterback. 
this dude is one of like the five or six best college football players ever. He was a legend at Florida. I mean, it's incredible what he did in four years. He has a huge fan base. People love the guy. They root for him. I don't care that he can't throw a 10-yard out with the New York Jets. I'm still a Tebow fan. Same here. I will watch him. And I don't watch any baseball, Clay. Come on. I would would 100% watch Tebow in the the major leagues if he's a call-up in late September as we go into October for sure. Jason McIntyre, thanks for getting up with us uh, here on Outkick the Coverage. Listen to his show on the weekend. Check him out on Speak for Yourself and go read uh, the big lead as well. Thanks for the time, my man. Thanks, man. Fun as always. Good stuff. That's Jason McIntyre. We'll discuss Tebow. Would you buy a ticket to go watch him play for the Mets now that he's going up to single A? We'll discuss next with an early Tebow watch from my guy, Jason Martin. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Yesterday, not a ton of sports going on, but man, did Jordan Spieth win in an incredible walk-off fashion. If you haven't seen the video of the chip shot he hit out of the sand and his reaction, you will absolutely love it. But here is what that win sounded like. The Azinger chip in, the Owen Brown chip in we spoke of. And the long putt by Nova Begay and all these crazy things that have happened here. And that might just top them all. That's Jordan Spieth trying to get back on the winning track with the big-time win in uh, overtime, I guess you want to call it, in extra extra innings, in extra golf, in uh, playoff golf. Uh, incredible shot. If you haven't seen that video, you need to go check it out. You can find it all over Twitter. I think we tweeted it out from the Fox Sports Radio account. Uh, Jordan Spieth throws his uh, throws his sand wedge and does a running chest bump with his caddy, who also, the caddy, by the way, tossed <laughs> toss the rake. The entire thing is pretty awesome. Somebody needs to put it into the Titanic sound uh, and, uh, and, and make it incredible. A couple of different things that uh, that I saw today. This is an amazing stat. I can't believe it. You know, it's been 20 years now since the first Harry Potter book came out. Like, I saw that today. It's trending all over Twitter this morning, Harry Potter 20, and I was like, there's no way. But it's been 20 years now since J.K. Rowling released the first Harry Potter book. Let's bring in the uh, the crew here for Harry Potter Breakdown as well as NBA trade analysis here in the first hour of the show on Monday. Can you guys believe Danny G and Robert, that it has been 20 years since the first Harry Potter book? You know what, Clay? I'm not even 30 yet, and the fact that that book is 20 years old makes me feel old. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people out there driving around to work, to school, whatever else, 20 years old. That means that, uh, I mean, I, I didn't even think about the fact. I mean, I guess we could do the math, right? 1997 was the release of the first Harry Potter book. Flat out unbelievable. Um, and, I then, also, and then to piggyback off that, Clay, is you now have people or kids who are going to say, hey, did you know that Belle was in some wizard movie back in the day? Because Emma Watson, you know, people know her from Beauty and the Beast now instead of Harry Potter. Oh, oh, I wasn't even sure what Belle was. Like, I haven't even seen Did you go see that movie? I haven't I gone to, to see, see that movie. I five times. Damn! Oh, five times? Yeah, my life sucks. <laughs> who did you have to, like, four different nieces and nephews or something? No, I, like, had, I had to see it with my wife. 
twice, and then she, she took you know her nieces and I would go. You with went them to go too. see Beauty and the Beast twice with your wife? Yeah, she saw it uh, the first night at the El Capitan, the Disney theater here in uh, Hollywood, and then uh, she saw it like a week and a half later. We saw it again. Yeah, yeah, wow. I'm, I'm, that's unbelievable. Like, I don't remember the last time I saw a movie twice, but there's a zero percent chance that I would go see Beauty and the Beast twice. Well, you're missing out, Clay. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think so, Robert. In a big way. Wow, that's that's unbelievable. Um, we've got uh, Jason Martin uh, here ready to roll. Let's play. Uh, we'll probably have multiple ones of these, but uh, I teased it already, so I want to hit it. Tim Tebow now promoted to single A. This is an amazing stat that I saw. He spent less time in rookie league ball than Bryce Harper did. And Bryce Harper obviously has turned into a pretty good player. Tebow was asked about the promotion, and he had this to say. You know, I think for me, it's not something that I have to answer. I just go out there and try to work, and it's a lot smarter, wiser people than me that make those decisions. I just try to show up and play hard every day. For most of these guys, they've been doing it for years, and for me, it's been a half year, so it's you know still getting adjusted to. It's not something that's um, home yet, but it's it's you're getting more and more comfortable. The goal is when you're somewhere, hopefully you leave it just a little bit better than you found it, and hopefully um, that was the case here. But also, I think the the you know people here had a great impact on me as well. It's a it's a great town, it's a great city, and um, a lot of really awesome people. So um, I know they had a big impact on me too. So I'm very grateful. But I'm still not a Gamecock fan. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fantastic close. I mean, and and if you heard that audio, it was kind of a confrontational question about what would you say to people who say you're not ready to be promoted, and that's why I think Tebow eventually is going to be elected as a congressman or senator or governor from the state of Florida because he's so talented at taking tough questions and disarming the questioner and turning it into kind of an entertaining opportunity for him to tell his side of the story. But he's now been promoted. And Jason Martin, this story initially came out in the New York Daily News about a month ago, right? The idea that he was going to get promoted maybe even more than a month ago. And today it became or yesterday it became fruition. 29-year-old Timothy Richard Tebow signed with the Mets in September, spent time in the Florida Instructional League and the Arizona Fall League. How did he do in Columbia, though? He batted 220, three home runs, 23 RBIs, a 311 on-base percentage, a 340 slugging percentage, 69 strikeouts, 23 walks, and 212 at-bats for the Columbia Fireflies. That average, ninth on the team for regular players. He had 13 more strikeouts than his next closest competition. Mets general manager Sandy Alderson said his recent last three weeks are actually trending pretty well. Given all the other circumstances, age and so forth, we thought this was the right time to promote him. The funny thing is, this news comes after a brutal stretch over the last four days where Tebow went just two for 13 in four games between June 22nd and the 25th against the Canapolis Intimidators. From the 23rd, 24th, and 25th, try Oh, for nine from the plate. Alderson admits the former NFL quarterback isn't killing the game, but tries to justify the move. Quote, I think we're pleased with the first half of the season. It's not like he's tearing up the league, but at the same time, all indications are positive. Didn't, so there you go. didn't he cite like Tebow's exit velocity on his swings <laughs> as a reason to do the promotion? Like we talked about his Delta. The, the absurdity of the way that they track home runs now. And there was actually a full-length article I read about all the different data 
that they put into play now when it comes to tracking home runs, exit velocity, and everything else. But I think that the, the Mets GM site there cited Tim Tebow's exit velocity on his on the balls that he's hitting as a reason why he deserved to be promoted. Look, this is this is going to end. And I think I said this months ago on the show. In fact, I know I did. It's going to end. The Mets are awful. The Mets are out of the race already. They're like 12 games back, whatever it is. It's going to end with him being promoted in the major leagues this year. I think that's the trajectory that they're on. Because if they can get him to double A, if they can get him to double A before the minor league season ends, then promoting him from double A to the major leagues is not a ridiculous proposition. And the Mets are going to need to get people in the stands. They are going to need to sell gear. They're going to need to have a reason why Mets fans care at all about late September and early October. That's going to be the answer. Tim Tebow is going to play in the major leagues this year. We'll discuss that and more. I'll bring in the crew. We'll talk about the NBA. we got Todd Furman, gambling expert, coming on. Second segment next hour. Thank you for spending your Monday morning with us. We're off and running. We have an unbelievable hour three scheduled for you. I'm going to tell you about that here in just a little bit. But up next, more breakdown of the NBA. Also, do we think Tebow will be in the major leagues here on Fox Sports? Good morning and welcome back to the Fox Sports Radio studios brought to you by Geico. Great news. Quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com and 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on car insurance. We are rolling through hour two now beginning here on Fox Sports Radio. I'll kick the coverage. Encourage you as always. Go download the podcast. Uh, Lots of podcasts uh, rolling in. Maybe we get some updates from Robert here on where we're dominating internationally now. Um, and uh, it's kind of interesting. I always like to know where do people listen and download the podcast the most. Uh, Robert last week gave us the top 10. I've got them here right now. Uh, top 10 most downloaded cities for the Outkick the Coverage pod- podcast. Nashville's number one, Houston number two, Atlanta number three, Los Angeles number four, Knoxville, Tennessee checking in at number five, San Francisco number six, Dallas number seven, New York City eight, Birmingham, Alabama nine, and Chicago number 10 pretty cool data i'm a data guy so i always enjoy knowing that anyway go download you can download both outkick the show which is my afternoon periscope and facebook live show no fcc restrictions it's up if you just search outkick on the podcast you will see both of those go download them hopefully we can keep you entertained if you're missing part of the show you can go back and listen to it um big story i would say out there i'd say there are three kind of big stories uh number one Still, the ongoing drama and fallout from the NBA free agency. What exactly is going to happen there? Reports last night from Mark Stein at ESPN.com that the Cavs and the Pacers continue to engage in trade talks surrounding Paul George with the Denver Nuggets potentially as the third team involved there, that Kevin Love potentially could be going to Denver. That story continues to develop. We'll see whether anything is imminent there. It does not appear that it could be. Uh Also, obviously, Chris Paul, where's he going to go? Blake Griffin and Gordon Hayward, the other three big NBA free agents, I would say, in terms of the storyline altering what could be expected to happen in the NBA season based on where those guys go. Tim Tebow, as you just heard, promoted from a single-A rookie team to single-A in general. I believe he's going to go to Major League Baseball by the end of this year. I think the Mets are going to get him up there. They'll sell a lot of those 15 New York Mets jerseys. And then Tim Tebow will be able to say that he has played in Major League Baseball. If he can be decent at single A, I think they'll bump him up before the end of the season to double A. And then he'll be able to make a late rise 
to the Major League Baseball team, and the Mets will be able to defend it. That's my expectation. And finally, Jordan Spieth with the walk-off golf chip shot in uh, the championship over the weekend. And as a result, I would say those are our three big talking points. By the way, I'm going to try to make you some money talking to my guy, Todd Furman. He's out in Vegas. He's going to join us early in the morning out in Vegas. He's going to join us next segment in hour three. You're not going to want to miss this. We've got Doug Adler scheduled. He's the individual who was fired for using the term gorilla effect during a match, tennis match, of Venus Williams. And what's wild about this story is we haven't had him on since then. The stress of being publicly branded a racist when ESPN fired him caused him to have a heart attack and nearly die. It's the first time he's talked to anybody in the media since that heart attack. He's going to be on with us scheduled right now in hour three. But I want to bring in the crew. Uh, I have been arguing, I started off the show arguing this, that the NBA desperately needs all four of these guys who are out there. Paul George to the Cavs, Chris Paul to the Spurs, Blake Griffin to the Thunder, Gordon Hayward to Boston. They need these guys to leave their current teams to make things better. I want to ask you that question, and do you agree with me? And do you believe that Tebow will play in the major leagues this year? I'll start with you, Jason Martin. We spent a lot of time last week disagreeing on the NBA mainly about LeBron James. And, you know, we had discussed, actually we discussed yesterday when we were looking at different stories for today about these four guys. And we agreed. Like, we basically both echoed each other all the way top to bottom. I agree 100% with every one of these sentiments. Paul George to the Cavs, Chris Paul to the Spurs, which has been ballyhooed for the last eh, six weeks, somewhere in that neighborhood. Blake Griffin to Oklahoma City, which has seemingly been talked about for over a year now. As a Thunder fan, I would certainly be intrigued to see what that might look like. And Gordon Hayward to the Celtics, which has also gotten traction, increasing traction maybe over the last six to eight weeks. And maybe that's something we can discuss with Casey Smith tomorrow, our Boston guest that comes on every week. I I do think that it's better for the NBA because at the present time, the narrative's already set in stone. That is, the Golden State Warriors are going to win the NBA championship next year. And they might win it for the next two years unless someone goes out and creates a super team. So that is the kind of thing, exactly the kind of thing, that would really at least open the idea that there's some kind of competition near the top in both sides, in both the uh, the East and the West. Because right now, with the exception of the Golden State Warriors, I would argue that the only really compelling story in the NBA right now is watching Lonzo Ball and how the L.A. Lakers are going to play with their new rookie point guard and paying attention to the ball circus and LeVar and everything that's going on out there. And that's you know that team's not going to be competing for a championship. So that means you're kind of just watching to see how this kid does in his first season. I think the NBA needs parity, and it usually doesn't have it compared to a lot of the other leagues. This isn't a new thing in the NBA, but they need something to make it interesting, and certainly, and I think Chris Paul, of all of them, might be the most fascinating to me. I guess Paul George, but Paul George is still probably a rental because I still think he wants to go to L.A. even if he's there for a year. You, you give me Chris Paul in San Antonio with Popovich, I don't know how that would look with Tony Parker, but you all of a sudden give Kawhi Leonard another real star, a first ballot Hall of Famer, that would be intriguing to me. But, yes, I could not possibly agree with you more about that premise and that hypothesis. What about Tebow and in Major League Baseball? Uh, I don't want to say for sure he's going to make it, but I think that it's at least a 50-50 chance now because, and I tweeted this out yesterday, everybody was so up in arms that he got promoted because of his numbers. 
Who cares? Nobody plays minor league baseball to win games. Nobody watches minor league baseball to see teams win games. That's why we don't run down minor league baseball box scores. Even Eddie Garcia isn't running down minor league baseball box scores. It's not about that at all. And if you're at the Mets, the Mets are just an absolute dumpster fire. From Matt Harvey to the number of injuries with Syndergaard and all of the things that are going on up there. Fred Wilpont, they need some kind of a positive story for the Mets. There is no more positive story than Tim Tebow. If Tebow is playing even moderately well, I would try to put him out there in September. I really would, not just to sell tickets, but because it's it's just the kind of way you'd want to end your season. Yeah, it's a sideshow, but it was a sideshow when you signed Tim Tebow. So you might as well just own it now and get the maximum out of it. You see the kind of tickets he was selling, over 5000 for Columbia in low single A. St. Lucie, I'm sure he's going to be doing even better, especially in the state of Florida. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I w- maybe I'd even go higher. Maybe I'd say 65%. Maybe he takes a major league at bat this season. But I'm all for it. Why not, right? The Mets aren't going anywhere. You might as well have some fun. Do you guys agree, Danny G and Robert, if you were betting, would you say Tebow will play for the Mets before the season's out? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to say the end of September. Why wouldn't you if you're the Mets, Clay? What, what do you have to lose at this I, point? I, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, look, you're in the entertainment business. And ultimately, Tim Tebow in the Mets uniform, number 15, if he can. I don't know if the Mets have a number 15 right now or not. He would sell a lot of jerseys. He would give them some entertainment and interest in a time of year when otherwise no one cares at all. In New York, this would be a wild storyline. I don't know. I mean, my guess is that Tebow will come back. I'm curious how long will Tebow pursue his interest in Major League Baseball. I think that's maybe the most intriguing aspect of this. If he got to play in Major League Baseball at the end of this year and he got a couple of hits, would that fulfill his desire to play baseball? Because he'd be able to say, yeah, I played in the Major Leagues and the NFL, something that obviously not very many guys have ever been able to do. Or is he genuinely liking this enough that he wants to come back and do this for a couple of years? Remember, the one challenging factor, and this is kind of fascinating about about getting promoted to play for the Mets, would be the guy I've been told makes 4 or $5 million a year to do the SEC network and to go around and be kind of their rallying force on their show that they do from college campuses. So would he go Deion Sanders old school? Like would they be flying him in on a hel- – remember back in the day when Deion was playing both places, coming in on helicopter and everything else? Would they do that to allow him to play in both sports? And, I mean, and, and by play in both sports, I mean get to his – broadcasting job as well and be able to do Mets games too I don't know what would happen that's the one kind of complicating factor I think for this is that he makes a ton of money to break down college football games for ESPN on the SEC network would that be in conflict with the Mets business potentially yes all right uh we're going to be joined next by my guy Todd Furman he's at Todd Furman on Twitter we're waking him up early out in the desert in Vegas we'll talk about all these different NBA issues We'll discuss uh, NFL Rookie of the Year, basically any and everything, Mayweather-McGregor, any of everything, any and everything that has to do with gambling from out in Vegas with my guy Todd Furman. He's up next here on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, great news, quick way you could save money, switch to Geico, go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more 
on car insurance. Joined now by my guy Todd Furman at Todd Furman on Twitter. He is out in Las Vegas. He is up with us early in the morning on Monday because he loves me so deeply, and that I much appreciate. Todd Furman, uh, I appreciate you joining us. Um, We started off the show today talking a lot about the NBA and how prohibitive of a favorite the Golden State Warriors are. Somewhere between minus 150 all the way up to minus 300. Have you ever seen a favorite like this in a team sport in the preseason? No, and you're not going to see it in any other sport, Clay, to be honest. When you look at the NHL, you look at Major League Baseball, you look at the NFL, you can't have an overwhelming favorite like you can in the NBA. And what Golden State is doing, or poised to do, may be close to unprecedented. We can go back to what the Bulls were in the 90s during Jordan's heyday, but there were other teams capable of at least pushing the Bulls game in, game out. You look at the landscape of the NBA right now, it's Golden State and everybody else sure the Cavaliers need to enter that discussion. They're widely available prices, just shy of 5-1. to one. We saw some major movement on Wolves just because of the trade of Jimmy Butler from 100-1 to one down to 66-1. to one. They're not going to win the NBA title. The players to keep your eye on, though, would be Chris Paul if he were to land in San Antonio to give them a point guard that they so desperately need. That would make the Spurs enter the conversation. They're 10-1 to one right now on Bet Online. I could see that number getting down as low as 5-1, to one, probably making them the second favorite behind only the Warriors should Paul sign there. Yeah, no, and, and that's a good question. I, I've got a bunch of these names, and I'm curious. You're pretty good at breaking down the individual value of players like these on the market. If Paul George what replaced Kevin Love on the Cleveland Cavaliers, what would that do to the odds of the Cavs winning the title? Given perception, you'd probably see the Cavaliers in a lot of books that are 9-2 to two or 5-1 to one, shade down just a bit into that 4-1 to one range. The thing that Cleveland has going for them, there really isn't anybody else in the East. So instead of changing the overall landscape of the Larry O'Brien trophy on odds to win the championship, Cleveland would become an even heavier favorite to win the Eastern Conference, and that's what I would do if I was an odds maker. I would adjust Cleveland way up to win the East. I wouldn't change them that much to win the NBA championship because I'd still want to have the healthiest handle and or position of strength going to Golden State because I don't think Paul George puts Cleveland over the top. It just makes them a little bit more interesting to the casual fans. Blake Griffin to Oklahoma City. If that happens, do the odds for the Thunder change at all? Yep, you will see the number on the Thunder come down. They're about 66-1 to 1 right now. We'll call the consensus. I think that number would drop to 40. Blake, a great fit there when you look at his desire to go up and down the court. It gives Russell Westbrook a score to get to the rim and on the glass. And I think when you consider what Blake has meant to that community as a whole, coming out of OU, knowing what that Sooners program did under his leadership, uh, I think it would change the dynamic and maybe have the potential to lure in another piece or two. I don't think it gets Oklahoma City over the hump in the Western Conference, but I do think it slots them into that Power Four territory, maybe behind the likes of Golden State, San Antonio, and Houston, one through three. What about Gordon Hayward to the Celtics? You said that the East was not very competitive. Would that change in any way the competition between the Celtics and the Cavs? It would change a little bit. I don't think it gives the Celtics enough offensively, uh, dynamic-wise, to get over Cleveland. Uh, but odds makers would be forced to adjust. Again, I don't think you would see Cleveland odds drift up as a result of bringing the Celtics down. But when you look at the Celtics at 10-1 to to win the NBA championship, widely available at 9-2 to to come out of the East, again, that number would come down. You'd probably be talking about the Celts around 3.5-1 to to win the East and stay pretty similar to that 10-1 to range, maybe tick down to 9-1 to to see where some of that public money might come trickling in. You're in Vegas. We're talking to Todd Furman at Todd Furman on Twitter. Appreciate him joining us here early on Monday. McGregor Mayweather, August 26th. How much buzz is there about two months away from that event in Vegas right now? 
It's incredible. And you look at the coming together of the two pugilistic sports, you know, uh, boxing and MMA. It's funny because the MMA fans almost feel like this is a turf war. Conor McGregor has to go out there. He's got to defend their sport because they feel like they've lived in boxing's shadow for so long. What's even more fascinating about it, Clay, is how the betting is breaking down. The general public sees the price on Conor McGregor widely available, 4.5 to 1, 5 to 1, upwards of 6 to 1. And they're going to put their $20, $50, on Conor, hoping that he can catch Floyd with a shot. Well, the recreational better on the flip side doesn't want to put up $7 to make a dollar on Floyd Mayweather. So you have a scenario where professional bettors are going to wait this out. They're going to let this number drop as low as humanly possible before they come in over the top of Floyd, figuring that he will get his 50th win. It's just not a question of if, it's how he'll do it. And books are going to have six, high six, low seven-figure liability. But unlike the NFL, where they find themselves rooting for the Cleveland Browns and Jacksonville Jaguars seemingly every Sunday through the fall, they're more than happy to have Floyd Mayweather going for them, knowing that he's going to create a very lucrative payday on August 26th. You, I know, pay a lot of attention to where the money's going. I looked at this fight, and I said, man, Floyd Mayweather has so much more money to make if he loses in some way to Conor McGregor in that first fight because it gets you fight two, and then it gets you the rubber match. Any way at all that you think about that as you're gambling on this event? Because obviously McGregor is the substantial underdog. But let's say that, that somehow he won this fight. There would be so much money to be made in fight two and three, right? You hate to say it that there could be some level of impropriety involved in a fight, but we've seen it before in boxing. And I'm not going to imply that I have any inside information on that, but you're exactly right. If these guys wanted to do this not once, not twice, maybe three times, uh, there is a lot of money at stake. At the same time, Floyd is hell-bent on keeping that e- ego and record perfectly intact. I don't think he wants to be 49-1 and one going for that 50th professional fight victory. And some of the comments coming out of his camp, he may be prepping more so to create a knockout in this type scenario. So it leads betters into coming up with other creative angles to try and figure it out. If you believe that Floyd wins by knockout or TKO, it's a much more affordable price than laying the one to seven that he'll just win by any means necessary. Uh, you can lay a dollar forty or a dollar fifty there, meaning you put up one dollar and fifty cents, you get a dollar coming back, and I think that's a very realistic outcome because Conor McGregor's never had to go twelve rounds at three minutes a pop. So if Floyd can dance, avoid getting hit for the first four or five when Conor comes out, guns a-blazing, McGregor might be extremely gassed, and that's where Floyd can do his damage with his quickness. You're in Vegas. The NHL, uh, they had their draft, their expansion draft. The team will start playing before long. How do you think having a major pro sports franchise in Vegas will change the city and will change perceptions about gambling in general? A lot of excitement out here, as you mentioned, just went through the entry draft and the expansion draft. Uh, What general manager George McPhee called one of the busiest weeks, not only for the Golden Knights franchise, but maybe any team in the NHL, the 31 existing franchises. I think it's great because we know, and I know you're a huge proponent of it, along with the American Gaming Association, a legalized, regulated betting market creates transparency. You shine light on the industry, and it makes things very difficult to do things in the shadows or create any bit of mistrust. So if the NHL is fine with wagering on its games, it's going to be a part of the discussion. Players are going to be surrounded by it, and folks are going to realize what's taken place throughout Western Europe with the major soccer leagues over the last half century is something finally coming to the States, and I think it'll be a great litmus test to prepare the city and sports as a whole for when the Raiders ultimately make their debut in Las Vegas in 2019-2020. I'm excited as a hockey fan myself. 
Season tickets have been purchased. Uh, I'm just hoping that we can be somewhat relevant and it won't take us 19 years to reach our first Stanley Cup finals like it did the uh, Nashville Predators. (laughs) Oh, shot across the bow. We're talking to Todd Furman, at Todd Furman on Twitter. Clay, one thing, though. I mean, we had a little straw poll going out here. You guys have done the catfish. Detroit does the octopi. What should we throw on the ice? Fuzzy dice, showgirls? I mean, what kind of things does Vegas need to try and make happen? I think panties. I mean, look, I mean, you know, maybe a bustier of some sort. I mean, I think when people think of Vegas, maybe it's just me, but I think they think of naked girls. Um, so uh, I think you need to tie in the uh, the showgirl contingent, the uh, the after-hours performance there in some form or fashion. So it could be like uh, you don't want to throw like heels, like stripper heels, because somebody would get killed on the ice or somebody get hit in the crowd. But I think uh, I think ridiculous underwear would be a uh, would be a solid addition, maybe some bloomers. Well, we may have to put that out there and see exactly how the uh, Golden Knights community wants to respond to it to create that energetic atmosphere that they're so desperately trying to, to develop. You were one of the first, and we're talking to Todd Furman. He's out in Vegas. You were one of the first people to tell me, and it's since been proven true, and I think a lot of people don't have any clue about this, that fans and media overvalue individual players, particularly in football. That is, oh, J.J. Watt's injured. Oh, my God, the impact of this game is going to be tremendous. Oh, Antonio Brown's out. And by and large, most odds makers look at the quarterback position and not just the quarterback position, but the backup to try and assess the overall value. And, and I thought about that when I saw NFL MVP odds popping on the offshore sites. And in particular, there were 24 guys who were named at quarterback. And you've got that list in front of you right now. We put it up on Outkick, the coverage. You can go check it out at outkick.com if you're curious. When you look at this list, does it seem to you to be a reasonable approximation of what the overall value is of quarterbacks in the NFL right now? Uh, it's very close. I will say one thing when you look at Tom Brady being listed as the favorite, he is not actually the most valuable quarterback to the point spread, and that's not by virtue of what Tom Brady means to the Patriots. It's by the token that they have Jimmy Garoppolo right behind him as a now, I'm not going to say a perfect, seamless, air apparent fit, but much better equipped backup quarterback than you're going to see around the rest of the league. For me, the two teams that would see the biggest drop-off if their quarterbacks were to go down, and I'll call it three teams, the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers, for me, I know a lot of people say he's worth about a touchdown. I actually think he's worth closer to 10 points Wow, how important quarterbacks are and the rest of that roster that Green Bay has there. Ben Roethlisberger, we've seen the Steelers playing without Big Ben, Landry Jones, whoever else they elect to put out there in black and gold. Big Ben right up there, uh, and we saw it firsthand exactly what Derek Carr meant to the Oakland Raiders. There's a reason that he's getting $25 million a year and a $40 million signing bonus, that those three guys in this day and age are the most valuable to their team. And I'll put Andrew Luck a half step behind there. It really changes the Colts' outlook if he's not able to throw or be close to 100% when the season starts. Like, it looks like he won't be able to go through full regiment of throwing, at least for training camp. It won't surprise you that I love Marcus Mariota at 33-1, to 1, but uh, given my love affair with Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titan quarterback, is there anybody on this list that you look at and you say, man, I wouldn't mind throwing a few dollars on there and that you like the value? I think for me, Clay, the one issue I have with Marcus is how heavily based the Titans offense is on the ground. I mean, Marcus isn't going to put up those gaudy quarterback numbers. He's not going to throw for 5,000 yards. So I think that has to temper some of the expectations, albeit I'm not really going on a limb trying to splash water on a quarterback that's 33-1. to If I'm going to go further down the list and really try and take a flyer, because when it comes to betting quarterbacks or for the MVP, unless I get a long shot, I'm not going to tie my money up this far in advance. I think Jameis Winston makes an awful lot of sense at 66-1. to Uh, You look at what Tampa did to kind of give him weapons in the passing game, 
O.J. Howard from Alabama, Deshaun Jackson to try and open up things underneath for Mike Evans, who's already been his most reliable receiver. A little bit worried about the ground game. But Jameis Winston at 66-1 to in a team that I think can take the next step and maybe even compete for the division title uh, would be a guy that's worth a little bit of cash. That being said, we saw it last year. I mean, if you took a flyer on Dak Prescott uh, and Ezekiel Elliott for some of the hardware late in the season, you were able to cash handsomely. So I tell folks, keep your eye on injuries that could come up during the preseason. That's oftentimes you'll create an awful lot of value for these individual awards. Last question for you. Heisman Trophy betting is now allowed in Vegas casinos. That's going to surprise a lot of people. Uh, You can now go out there and place your bet on who you think wins the Heisman Trophy. What have the early odds markets suggested out there for college football fans? I don't think it'll surprise any of your listeners that Sam Darnold, the starting quarterback at USC, listed as the odds-on favorite, a price just shy of 5-1. to one. He's followed by Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield, the only other players that a lot of books have at prices less than 10-1. to one. I think SEC fans will find the, the part most fascinating, the player that's seen the most movement, and I actually think he's got a legitimate shot to win the award, but I wouldn't be betting him now, is Jared Stidham at Auburn. He opened up at the uh, Westgate Superbook at 50-1. to 1. That number is all the way down to 15. And when you look at the way Auburn's schedule sets up, we've seen Gus Malzahn's offenses click when he has a dual-threat quarterback. And the fact that Auburn is only about a three-and-a-half, four-point underdog, if we're looking all the way ahead to the Iron Bowl, may speak volumes about what they can expect down there at Jordan-Hare. Uh, all fall along if Stidham lives up to these lofty expectations being placed on his shoulders. Outstanding stuff as always, Todd Furman. Thanks for waking up with us. You can go follow Todd Furman on Twitter at Todd Furman. We'll talk a little bit about Jordan Spieth, big-time shot. Where does that celebration rank? Coming up next here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. As well, with TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and on average save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. A guy who may be more confident now, he's Jordan Spieth. I don't know how many of you have seen the shot that won the playoff last uh, yesterday evening, afternoon. Uh, incredible shot out of the sand, out of the bunker. Jordan Spieth throws his sand wedge. The caddy throws, his, uh, throws the rake. The video on this is extraordinary. This is what golf probably needs more of. Although it is fun to think about, like Jordan Spieth's celebration might well get him a, a bean ball if he were playing baseball, because it might violate the unwritten rules. But with all the young guys on golf, I don't know what you could do to make golf a lot more entertaining. I I love watching golf as is, you know, when it's Sunday and it's a major and there's a lot of tension and you can kind of feel the intensity on each shot. It's a lot of fun to watch, and, and I don't miss any of the majors as they come down the stretch on Saturday and Sunday. But on a regular weekend of golf, I feel like there isn't very much intensity or excitement. And I, I've always thought that they tried to add and make the regular season of golf a little bit like the NASCAR race where at the end of the year you have a points total and everything else. And they tried to do that, and they're trying to do that still, I think, with the FedEx Cup and this idea that you win $10 million at the end of the year and it matters so much. And I don't know anybody who follows that. And I don't know anybody who follows it because the regular season runs right into that 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 intense finish of golf runs right into football. 
And my argument is you can't compete with football right now in this country. If you're trying to compete with college football or the NFL, nobody cares. Even the golfers themselves. Like, we get golfers on this show. We'll talk to them and be like, uh, you know, you're out there playing for $10 million on the FedEx Cup. And most of these guys are huge college football fans. And a lot of them are huge NFL fans as well. And they're following the results of their favorite teams on their phones. They're checking scores and everything else. Even they care way more about football than they do about the regular season. But I do think... That was a pretty awesome event and pretty awesome way to walk off for Jordan Spieth. And that's the kind of activity that could bring in a casual fan. I don't know what the solution is for golf. Um, I, I would say I play golf and I, I'm a member of a, uh, of, a, of a club, but I just don't have time to play. And it takes so long to play 18 holes. I, every time I'm out there and you know it's four hours or whatever, the round takes so long and it's hard to not be plugged in and be able to respond to email or pay attention to what's going on in the stories during the week or even the weekend. I don't know what the solution for golf is, but I do think that video going viral kind of could help. You know, the excitement level there of what Jordan Spieth was showing uh, was pretty outstanding. Speaking of outstanding, we haven't talked very much about him because he's kind of come out of nowhere. Cody Bellinger hit two more home runs yesterday for the Dodgers. The statistics on him now are pretty unbelievable. I was looking at this data right now, and you know how I'm a huge baseball exit velocity data guy. But here is like kind of putting Cody Bellinger and Aaron Judge into context right now. Both rookie of the years, both potentially could be not just rookie of the year. I think they've already got those uh, those awards locked up. Both could be MVPs overall. And we'll talk to our guy, John Morosi, who can put this into better perspective than I can. But how impressive have the starts been for Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger so far this season, the Yankee and the Dodger? Uh, Right now, in the history of baseball, most home runs by a rookie in the first half of the season. Mark McGuire, all the way back in 1987, hit 33 home runs in his first 80 games in Major League Baseball. Jose Abreu, uh, back in 2014, hit 29 in 82 games. Number three on this list? Aaron Judge with 26 and 71 games. Then there's a guy named Al Rosen who uh, was a, a rookie back in 1950. And then comes Cody Bellinger. The other guy on this list, by the way, top six, Jose Canseco. Remember the Bash brothers back in the day, Canseco and McGuire. Cody Bellinger right now has 24 home runs in 57 games. How young is Cody Bellinger? He has no idea who Seinfeld is. He's 21 years old. He was three when Seinfeld went off the air back in, what was it, like 1998, thereabouts, when Seinfeld went off the air. He was asked about whether or not he knew who Seinfeld was on Scott Van Pelt's show, and here was the audio of that. So do you know who Jerry Seinfeld is? I'm not going to lie to you. I know the name, but I couldn't put a face to the name. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't really know what he. I don't, That's incredible. I don't. Know, I don't really know what he does, man. I'm. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, you don't. No, no, no. You don't have to. You don't have to apologize for anything. It's just like he was kind of a popular guy that had a real popular TV show, and it's just a reminder that there's some younger dudes, and you're one of them. So, you know, I mean, that's who he. That's who he was. Yeah. He had a TV show. Awesome. Yeah. I like I said. I know the name, but I, I don't know the face. I'll guarantee. That is that is phenomenal. If you weren't already feeling old this morning as you drove into work or school or wherever you're going, again, Harry Potter, 20 years ago, 
the first book in the Harry Potter franchise came out, J.K. Rowling releasing the first book in the Harry Potter series 20 years ago, and that is Cody Bellinger, who has 24 home runs and 57 at-bats for the Dodgers so far this year, asked if he knew who Jerry Seinfeld was by Scott Van Pelt on his show, and Cody Bellinger has absolutely no idea. That is just... That is phenomenal audio. Just incredible. I, I'm blown away that there is – I never have felt older than right now when Cody Bellinger, who's only 21 years old, has 24 home runs in 57 games, the fifth best pre, pre-All-Star game debut in the history of baseball. Both Bellinger and Judge potentially contenders to win NFL rookie of uh, – NFL rookie of – I mean NFL rookie of the year. They have won Major League Baseball's rookie of the year already. They may win – the MVP of their respective uh, the, the sides there, the NL and the AL. Incredible performance, but that audio is phenomenal. Final segment of Hour 2 coming up next, and you guys are going to be blown away by this. It's Animal Thunderdome news, and i got to tell you, I don't think I would go to Alaska right now. The bears are rising up. You're not going to believe what's happened. I am Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by Geico. Monday morning edition, final hour, 15 minutes. Could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote as well. Here are some car laws you might not know about. In Alabama, it's illegal to drive blindfolded. In Oklahoma, it's illegal to read comic books while driving. And in Russia, it's illegal to drive a dirty car. Here's something else you might not know about cars that's really helpful and won't you get you, and won't get you in trouble with the law. True Car also helps a lot of people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly a million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. Here's something else you might not know. True Car users can see what others paid so they'll know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Some features not available on all NBA teams, such as a chance to win a title. Big news, uh, I would say, as you're waking up across the country, is that The Cavs and the Pacers, dum-dum-dum, continue to talk. What exactly is going to happen from this discussion? No one seems to know, but now word is, according to ESPN, that they have potentially roped in Denver as the third team in their lovely three-way here. Uh, Denver would get Kevin Love. The Cavs would get Paul George. What exactly the Pacers would get, no one seems to know, but that talks are ongoing there. And we start off the show by saying that, to me, there are four guys out there right now, three free agents and one player in Paul George who has basically announced already to the Pacers that he won't be coming back next season that need to switch teams in order for the NBA to have a legitimately interesting season. If I were Adam Silver and I were out here waving my magic wand trying to make the NBA great again, such that the Golden State Warriors are not going to be as dominant as they have been in the past year so that we don't have another 16-1 playoff run, so that we don't have another regular season that doesn't matter at all. I would say that these four things need to happen. Paul George needs to join the Cavs. Chris Paul needs to join the Spurs. Blake Griffin, apologies apologies to Los Angeles Clipper fans out there to the extent there are any. Blake Griffin needs to go to the Thunder and Gordon Hayward to the Boston Celtics, all four of those guys, if they change their current teams, 
they would make the NBA better. They would make the NBA regular season matter a bit more. Uh, Other big news that's going on. Tim Tebow has been promoted from rookie league ball to single A. My opinion and the opinion of several guys on the show here that Tebow will actually end up in the major leagues playing for the Mets at the end of the season, given the fact that the Mets are basically eliminated from mattering so far in the baseball season. I think they're like 12 games out of first place. Their entire season so far has been a total disaster. One more bit of news, by the way, about the NBA. In that ESPN report uh, from Mark Stein, the possibility, at least, that Cavs uh, fans and, and ownership and everybody else is holding out hopes that Carmelo Anthony is going to be bought out. And if he is bought out, that he could join any team alongside, theoretically, Dwayne Wade, who also, the theory is, will get bought out by the Bulls. How exactly that would work from a salary cap perspective, who knows exactly. But the possibility, at least hanging out there, that Carmelo and Dwayne Wade, two good friends of LeBron James, could end up on the Cavs before all is said and done, helping to give them a bit more ammunition in their pursuit of the Golden State Warriors. Obviously, they would also want Paul George. We'll keep you updated as those trade talks continue in the event that there is any resolution. They broke down before the draft, but again, Mark Stein's report, if you go read that, is that the conversations are ongoing and that there is still hope that the Cavs, the Pacers, and maybe with Denver as the third team, they can work out a deal for Paul George. Final bit of news, and we've played the audio for you, and I hope you saw it. Jordan Spieth with a big uh, win, chipping in from the uh, from the bunker, a uh, extra playoff hole there for the win in golf. Okay, we have got a guy named Doug Adler. If you're not familiar with the Doug Adler story, it probably was, I don't know, a couple of months, maybe a month after he got fired for what happened on an Australian Open broadcast that he came on with us for the first time. And he has not done any media at all. And I want to refresh your mind if you don't remember this story because I think our interview with him is going to blow your mind perhaps because I think it's emblematic of what modern social media can become when all context is lost. Doug Adler was a commentator for ESPN for tennis matches for a decade or more. And I say was because he was fired. Well, what was he fired for? He was calling an Australian Open broadcast on ESPN3. That's an online-only broadcast of a Venus Williams match when this audio clip happened and it went viral and everybody decided online, the social media mob, that he was a racist for saying this. I want you guys to listen to this small clip from inside of a match from the Australian Open. This is Doug Adler, former ESPN tennis analyst, describing what he saw in a Venus Williams match. She misses a first serve, and Venus is all over her. You'll see Venus move in and put the gorilla effect on. Charging. All right, so commentators on the internet, social media, social justice warriors, including a New York Times reporter, took this clip and decided to say that Doug Adler was calling Venus Williams a gorilla. Doug Adler's defense, which I think if you listen to the clip, and we'll play it for you one more time, if you haven't heard this, it's it's amazing to me. It's, it's It's a fascinating story. Doug Adler's response is, no, I'm talking about guerrilla warfare as in guerrilla effect. If I wanted to call somebody a guerrilla, I would have just said charging like a guerrilla. 
charging gorilla effect, meaning gorilla warfare, G-U-R-R-I-L-L-A, as opposed to the animal. I want you to go back and listen to this one more time. She misses a first serve and Venus is all over her. And you'll see Venus move in and put the gorilla effect on. Charging. And so this to me is such an interesting story because one of the things that I always kind of hit you with on this show is the need for context and the need to actually take a step back and not immediately react to things that you guys may believe, oh my God, this is an unbelievable occurrence. And so Doug Adler's story here has continued. I don't think it's gotten any attention. So he was fired for this. He was fired for this. ESPN basically allowed him to publicly be branded a racist. They refused to stand behind him, even though he says he's used this phrase many times before. And as a result, he was fired. He's unable now to get work as a tennis commentator because his name has been dragged through the mud and everybody has decided that he is racist. And this so overwhelmed him that he had a heart attack. And he almost died. And his doctor said this is directly attributable to the stress that came from a social media mob and ESPN and everybody else publicly branding this guy a racist. Now, he has not talked to the media since he had this heart attack and almost died, since he had quadruple bypass surgery. He's going to talk to us here on OutKick this morning. And I think you guys are going to be blown away by the story that Doug Adler has to tell. And as you listen to his story here, I want you to think about the way that you use social media, the way that stories move virally, and ask yourself this question. Is it always the case that it's worth in any way taking somebody's words out of context? Again, I played that viral clip. I'm going to play it for you one more time. This thing went viral all over social media. ESPN fired Doug Adler because of this. Because some people said he was calling Venus Williams a gorilla, which I think when you hear it in context is absolutely positively not the case. All right, here's one last play for it. I'll also play it for you when we come back right before this interview starts. But I want you guys to have the context for this. I think this is an incredible story. I think it's emblematic of our times. And I think Doug Adler here has been a victim of a social justice warrior mob that was chasing him for something that he never did. I think ESPN had the opportunity to stand up for Doug Adler, and they didn't do it. And as a result, if you think what you write on Twitter and on Facebook doesn't have an impact on the other humans who are out there, this almost killed Doug Adler. His doctors say that this stress, unable to sleep, unable to eat, over publicly being branded a racist, over losing his job, this is where sports meets the real world. I want you to think about this. This clip, as we go to break, I'm going to play it for you one more time, and then I'm telling you right now, wherever you are, you're going to want to hear this interview. You need to stay in your car. You need to go into work. Make sure you turn us on. Stream us on Fox Sports Radio. Bring in your Sirius XM headset. Listen on Sirius XM Channel 83. You're going to want to hear this interview with this guy because I think it's going to put a face onto so much of the social justice shaming that goes on on the internet. I want you to think, but here's that clip as we go to break, Doug Adler's going to join us. Here is what got him fired and almost killed him. This clip went viral. She misses a first serve, and Venus is all over her. And you'll 
see Venus move in and put the gorilla effect on. Charging. She misses a first serve and Venus is all over her. And you'll see Venus move in and put the gorilla effect on. Charging. Live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios, great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Joined now by Doug Adler. You can find him on Twitter, at Doug Adler Tennis. And, Doug, your life has been a total whirlwind since we last talked. What's happened? Well, a lot of things, as you said, the whirlwind happened. Uh, I had the heart attack back in. February, about one month after I was fired by ESPN, and then okay, let me stop you month. there. Let me stop you there with the uh, the heart attack. So you were fired in January for using the term "gorilla effect" during a Venus Williams match. Uh, you've since filed a lawsuit alleging that you shouldn't have been fired. ESPN <clears throat> decided that it was racially racially insensitive. You went through the Twitter mob, everybody else criticizing you for it. For people who aren't familiar with this story, again, we played the audio. We'll play the audio again for you. Uh, as uh, as we finish this uh, this clip, we just played it last uh, segment as well. What's what's wild about this, Doug, is you were under such stress that you had a heart attack, and your doctors told you that the heart attack was brought on by the stress from this firing. Correct? Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, basically, um, I was always very careful in monitoring, you know, all of all of my physical things going on, and I would do stress tests on my on my heart to go along with physicals every year. And it in the fall of 2015, I believe it was almost toward the end of October, uh, I did the echo stress test and the test was, was my heart showed to be in such good shape that the, the doctor said I wouldn't even have to come back for a couple of years and even repeat the test. So <laughs> this was all stress related and Unfortunately, you know, when I was let go, I had nowhere to turn. And, uh, you know, obviously I was able to get on your program and tell my side, but I also went on Twitter. And I think for about a month, Clay, I, I really didn't get much sleep. I didn't eat. I was totally stressed out. I was fighting for my life, my reputation, and uh, my credibility and my name. And I think I just, I just wore down. I just wore down and uh, boom. There you go, heart attack. What happened in the heart attack circumstances? Take me through the time when you had a heart attack. We're talking to Doug Adler, and he was unfairly fired by ESPN for using the term gorilla effect and, uh, and, and since then has had a heart attack. Give me the details as you best can of what your medical condition was and what that experience during the heart attack was like. Well, everything that uh, I've seen in records of uh, my medical records is I was, I was good. I was fine. And uh, the morning of the heart attack, I had I thrown up a bit and um, thought it was like heartburn, acid reflux. And uh, 12 hours later, I was driving myself to the emergency room in Burbank, California. I had driven with a buddy down to San Diego to watch a tennis match, and, and I wasn't feeling well. And then coming back, I was feeling even worse. And... Uh, you know, for those of you who have had one or haven't had one, it, it just lose your breath. You can't really take in oxygen, and that becomes very scary. So when I got to the emergency ward, 
they asked what was going on, and I said, I'm having chest pain. And, and they said, triage stat. I mean, they moved on it so quickly. And um, first thing you do when you get in there is they take your EKG, and my EKG was so bad that the guy who took it didn't even look at me. He ran out of the room, called in the staff, and within about two, three minutes, there were 20 people around me wiring me up with things. Doctor walks in, and probably within a half hour of that, I had um, two stents put into my heart to stop the heart attack. <laughs> How close did they say you came to die? Um, well, they were upset that I didn't get there right away when I started to feel signs of discomfort. But I think like so many other people, you never really think you're having a heart attack, particularly when you believe you're in good shape and you've been told that, you know, your heart's good. And there's no reason for me to think anything other than that. Um, and they just said, you know, I was lucky that um, for whatever reasons I was able to pull through. I, can't, I, just, I just think it's a little bit of luck. And in fact, I got in there and I don't know what else to say about that, Clay, other than I'm just grateful, you know. How long were you in the hospital? Uh, well, for that per- particular situation, for the stents and the heart attack, I was in the hospital uh, for five days in Burbank. Uh, I think, I believe that happened on, if memory serves me correct, that happened on like a Sunday. It happened on the weekend, and uh, I was there throughout the entire week and uh, recuperating. And, and then by the time I recovered from the heart attack, um I had to go have a quadruple bypass at UCLA, which was about one month following that. And that was, that scared me to death because I felt like I was recovering pretty well. And uh, I remember not wanting to do that surgery because of the fear of dying. And all of this was brought on, according to your doctors, by the stress that came to your life when you were unfairly and falsely branded a racist and not stood up for by ESPN? Uh, I think everyone's heard the comment, stress kills. And, you know, had I not been on my game, had I not taken care of myself throughout my lifetime, uh, then, you know, maybe we'd be approaching it or thinking differently. But everything points 100% to what ESPN did and how they treated me and how they handled me. And just put yourself in my shoes. I mean, can you imagine being branded and falsely accused of being a racist? I mean, how do you recover from that? How do you defend yourself? And and that's what I was doing, and it almost killed me. It almost killed me because I was in shock by what had happened with my employer at ESPN after so many years. They told me they knew what I said. They told me they knew what I meant. And then they said there was too much pressure coming from the other side, the social media world, the, the liberal mob. And uh, they dropped me so fast. And I think, I think, Clay, it just put me in a world of shock, a world of hurt. And the result was I almost lost my life. Did anyone at ESPN reach out to you after the heart attack or after the quadruple bypass or at any time during that to check on your condition or express good wishes towards you? Yeah, I got a 
few um, text messages, not phone calls, but text messages from a few of the people that I had worked with calling matches at the Australian Open, as well as the executive producer, uh, Don Colantonio, uh, who had hired me at ESPN for all these years. He actually sent me a very warm text about he had heard about it and he wanted to wish me the best in terms of recovering. So there were, yeah, a couple of people that did reach out and send me their best wishes, and I'm sure they were shocked as I was. We're talking to Doug Adler. He was fired by ESPN for using the term gorilla effect during a Venus Williams uh, match, subsequently fighting for his good name, had a heart attack brought on by the stress of a, uh, I think it's fair to say, liberal mob deciding that he was a uh, racist white guy. And uh, none of that was true. You worked with ESPN for 10 years, Doug. Had there ever been any complaints about anything you'd said on a, a match before this? No, never. I mean, never. And, you know, the, the irony of the whole thing is, uh, you know, like I, I, my parents are school teachers. Uh, I, I grew up on the public parks in Los Angeles. Uh, I went to Hollywood High School, and one of my best friends was a black guy by the name of Maurice Hunter at Hollywood High. When I went to USC my sophomore year I played with a guy by the name of Earl Prince he was a black guy who was a phenomenal tennis player and my senior year at uh, SC um, there were four of us living together my doubles partner Robert Van Hoffen two guys one guy by the name of Kenny Smith and the other the other guy by the name of James Sanford both were uh, athletes on the track team, both black, and we lived together for the entire year. So you can imagine how ridiculous the whole thing uh, seemed to me, and it just uh, made no sense. And I just felt like ESPN, the easiest thing for them to do was to drop me. Um, if my name was something else other than Doug Adler, if it was John McEnroe or Brad Gilbert, I think they would have handled it entirely differently. But there just wasn't enough resources or energy or conviction from them to stand behind me and I'm sure they thought I'd go away meekly and be done with me you have not gone away meekly you have filed a lawsuit and I want to talk to you about that lawsuit against ESPN and also continue to unpack this story the difficulty is as I'm sure you know if somebody decides to brand you as a racist you are considered guilty and it's almost impossible to prove that you are not in fact a racist even if you can point to a lifelong history of having no issues whatsoever. We're going to continue to talk with Doug Adler uh, on the flip side, but first let's find out what's trending now. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. With TrueCar, you can find out what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for and, on average, save over three grand off MSRP. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We're talking with Doug Adler. I want to play this clip for you right now of him calling the Australian Open tennis match featuring Venus Williams. He uses the term gorilla effect. Here is that audio right now. I'm going to play it for you. Listen. She misses the first serve, and Venus is all over her. And you'll see Venus move in and put the gorilla effect on. Charging. Okay, Doug, we played that audio. You heard it now. You've probably heard that a thousand times since. Uh, We've talked about this a great deal. For you, gorilla effect means what? Well, it's a compliment. 
it's basically it's a tactic and a strategical approach to to tennis when you do something that your opponent is not going to expect and you become you go from a basically pacified position to a very aggressive position and and it's all about trying to win and you know very few players in today's game really attack the net it's the game is played from the back of the court um but you know my day it wasn't and even the way a lot of the best players play today they surprise you they take the ball early they pound it and they come in and they win the point and basically they intimidate their opponents that way it is actually a compliment to be used and that's entirely the way that i was using it and when you saw that this video was going viral you watched it again and you told your executive producers like look this is a term that's existed in tennis for a while Gorilla effect, I would say. I've said this on the air before. Gorilla effect, you don't refer to an animal as an effect, right? If I wanted to say that you were like a panda bear, I wouldn't say, oh, it's a panda bar, panda bear effect, right? I wouldn't say it. Just for people out there listening right now, to me, it's the use of the term gorilla effect that makes it clear that you're talking about something other than the animal because there's no animal that you use the word effect after. Some people might be saying, oh, what about the butterfly effect? Well, that's not referencing the butterfly at all. That's referencing, you know, like a complex system that can happen in the history where, whereby if you touch a butterfly, you can set loose a hurricane if you went back in time or whatever else. But otherwise, no animal. You don't say, oh, that's a horse effect. That's a, uh, that's a dog effect. That's a cat effect. You don't say gorilla effect meaning the animal itself, you're saying guerrilla warfare, G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A. I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. But in, w- w- the reason why I find your story so fascinating, we're talking to Doug Adler, is because context doesn't matter anymore. Context doesn't matter in an age of social media. You can have a guy like Doug Adler who's never done anything wrong in his life who says one sentence on a ESPN3 broadcast, right? This wasn't even on ESPN or ESPN2. The clip is taken out of context, placed on the Internet, Next thing you know, guy's getting fired, and he's driven himself to such rage and uh, and discomfort over this entire situation, over the attack upon him, that he has a heart attack and nearly dies. I mean, I think your story is is incredibly compelling and also emblematic of our times, and and should be a a signal post for people out there to not assume the worst about people without the context being considered. Yeah, well, social media and the people that were the part of the mob didn't know anything about me. They didn't know who I was married to. I mean, I could have been married to a, a woman of color. They didn't know about my children or if I had children. Nothing about me other than they just jumped on me and looked to basically, through hate and anger, look to kill me. And they basically were illiterate because they didn't understand the term has been used in tennis for years and years and years. It's been written about in tennis for years and years. And the point that you make, Clay, is so good. By saying gorilla effect, that absolutely states exactly what my intention was. If you're referring to an animal, why would you not just say like a gorilla? So anyways, I don't look at life that way. I don't look at people that way. And when I'm calling a tennis match, it doesn't matter what the color of the individual is. I'm only identifying what's required tactically, strategically to get the W, to win. And that's what makes me maybe stand out as a commentator. I mean, I'm not 
I'm not really personalizing anything. I'm just talking about what you got to do to win, to be a champion. And, you know, this thing, this whole blow up to me is just so indicative of, of so many other issues going on around the world, within our country. It's become so apparent to me. And boy, nothing like being falsely accused. And is there really anything worse than being falsely accused bogusly of being a racist? I can't think of anything really worse than that. How do you get out of how do you get out of that? Uh, pedophiles probably worse. They, but you know, I don't wish that on anyone. The I fact that wish- you go to that analogy, and I don't think it's a wrong one at all. The fact that you go to the analogy of the worst things that you can be accused of as a white man today and how difficult it is to defend yourself, especially when your company throws you under the bus like ESPN did. Now, you have fought back. You have filed a lawsuit against ESPN. What do you hope happens from your lawsuit? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, Obviously, I I want my name cleared. I want my reputation back. I want to be unfired. I think I'm owed an incredible apology. Uh, because without that, uh, I, it's just impossible to get work. And um, I think uh, they've treated me unfairly and they've treated others unfairly. And I don't want to see this happen to anyone else ever again. And whatever I can do to prevent it from happening to anyone else, that's what my intention is. We're talking to Doug Adler. You mentioned that ESPN has fired you. We just saw the French Open happen. Wimbledon is happening next week. It starts, I believe. You aren't going to be able to work those tournaments. You haven't been able to work any other tournaments either because ESPN's firing has ricocheted across the tennis universe and almost made you unemployable in some sense, correct? Unfortunately, that's accurate. I lost my French Open job having worked uh, 10 French Opens in a row. I received uh, an email. Uh, from my employer, that was the Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel basically dropped me. Uh, Wimbledon is an ESPN event, dropped from that, and I lost even another job not affiliated with either one, a job in Washington, D.C. called the City Open, where uh, my employer wanted me back, the public relations firm from the tournament wanted me back. Um, Everyone wanted me, but Citigroup, the sponsor, of the city open, it went to their legal department, and they said they could not take any risk in getting any negative feedback, which was horribly chicken on their part. And I lost that job after having that job for eight years. So I'm basically not hireable at this point in time. ESPN recently rehired Hank Williams Jr., who it had fired. <laughs> you may have seen oh this because he what compared, I believe, Barack Obama to Hitler on uh, on. A Fox News channel. They rebring back Hank Williams Jr. He compared the president to Hitler in some way. Uh, you were not employed despite the fact that you have done absolutely nothing. What was your reaction when you saw that story about Hank Williams Jr. coming back? My reaction was ESPN is so different. So in, in, they're having so much difficulty in terms of uh, losing subscribers and the uh, they're having so much trouble that they are looking for any way possible to get the people that have turned against them to come back. And I really felt that the Hank Williams situation was so hypocritical because, I mean, if what he did was that wrong and that bad, why would all of a sudden 
they bring him back unless they were that desperate for bringing in the right side, which is the conservative side of the country. In other words, that's so much of the side that has left them. They have this liberal bias. They play politics. The Hank Williams thing obviously tied to the biggest the biggest promotion that ESPN does, which is NFL Monday Night Football. You can't get any bigger than that. Bring Hank Williams back, say it's no big deal, and get the folks that have left you to say, oh, look at their changing heart, they're changing politics. And I just think it's um, very, very hypocritical. That's my, that's my perspective. I don't know if you agree with that or not, Clay, but I'm happy for Hank Williams Jr., but what does that say about ESPN and their, and their methods and, and their morals and their ethics? What do you want to happen now? Huh. I want to go to work. I want to get healthy and strong. You know, what I want to have happen is a, is a tough question to answer because, you know, after what I've been through, there's so much to recovery. And I just believe if I stay positive, I'll get there. And certainly the people that know me support me. I think the most, the single most important thing to me, what do I want to have happen now? I want ESPN to apologize to me and make up for all the damage that they have created, both work, career, reputation, and health. Doug, I think a lot of people who are listening to you right now are rooting for you, not just for what you represent, but for a lot of people out there who may not have the opportunity to stand up to a big company when suddenly they end up in the flashpoint and they've done nothing wrong and the company just throws them underneath the bus. We're rooting for you. Thank you for coming and spending time with us here on this morning, and uh, we look forward to talking to you and staying updated on your your quest for uh, for redemption in many measures, for a redemption that you shouldn't have to seek. Thank you, my man. Stay healthy. Thank you very much. That is Doug Adler. You can follow him on Twitter at Doug Adler Tennis. We'll take your reactions next, 877-996-6369. I'm Clay Travis. You're listening to Outkick the Coverage here on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. Fox Sports Radio Studios brought to you by GEICO. Easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with GEICO. Go to GEICO.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier as well, your car's needs now come with a reward with the AutoZone Rewards program. Spend $20 five times and earn a $20 reward. So sign up today. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Wow. That Doug Adler story, to me, is deserving of a massive New Yorker-style profile where you talk about a guy who for a decade has been calling tennis matches all the time, all over the world, French Open, Wimbledon, Australian Open. And this broadcast of the Venus Williams Gorilla Effect line was on ESPN3. It wasn't even on ESPN or ESPN2. It wasn't even on ESPN News or ESPNU or any other station on cable. It's a broadcast on ESPN3. Somebody clips the broadcast. I don't even know how many people would have been watching this thing. 500? 1,000? Takes that small clip, which we played for you, puts it up on the internet, and immediately decides that they are going to brand Doug Adler as a racist. 
what do you do then? What response does he have? Well, he says, I've been using this phrase for a decade with ESPN Tennis. I've been using guerrilla warfare, a different word that sounds the same as the animal. By the way, if it's not a black tennis player, nobody reacts to it at all. The fascinating thing is here, I think you have to be racist in order to even think this guy's trying to be racist. Because I think the vast majority of you who listen to that would not be thinking, oh, he's trying to compare a black athlete to a gorilla. And if he were going to do that, if Doug Adler were an insane racist, and he's been a tennis announcer for a decade with zero negative statements that he's ever made about anybody, continues to get hired, put on big matches by ESPN. If his goal was to be a racist and suddenly out of nowhere call Venus Williams a gorilla in order to make some what statement? I don't know, some massive racist statement. Wouldn't he at least do it on ESPN or ESPN2? Like, wouldn't you want to do it for the largest possible audience as opposed to doing it on a streaming match from the Australian Open when the only people watching it are watching on computer screens? I'm not an expert in racism. But if you wanted to get your message out and you were a huge racist, wouldn't you want to do that on ESPN or ESPN2? Wouldn't you have done it at some point over the last decade before then? See, context is all lost in stories such as these, and I think that Doug Adler's story is just so compelling because I think it hits on all of the flaws that exist in a modern media era. ESPN knows he's not racist. They they know that he had done nothing wrong here, but they were so concerned about what other people thought that they had no difficulty at all throwing this guy to the wolves. And the social media mob out there was so brutal that they drove Doug Adler almost to death over something that he did without being having done anything wrong at all. I hope he takes ESPN for a billion dollars in this lawsuit. I hope the jury out in California that eventually sits and hears this case, I hope they sit there and they watch all this evidence and say, we're going to send a message here and now that companies cannot throw people under the bus like this and try to wash their hands of them. I hope they take a billion dollars from ESPN. I hope they sit down, give him substantial damages, and then when they get to the punitive damages aspect of this trial, I hope they write in $1 billion. I I would not be troubled by ESPN having near bankruptcy coming from this. Wouldn't be bothered by it at all. I think this is a time when a jury needs to stand up and send a message that we will not allow situations like this to occur again. We're not going to allow ESPN to do what they did to this guy. Nearly killed him. Unbelievable story. If you liked that interview or you want to share it with your friends, I think it's an important story. Go download the podcast, Outkick the Coverage, Outkick the Show. Doug Adler, at Doug Adler Tennis on Twitter if you want to reach out to him. Thank you guys for spending Monday with us. On Tuesday, we'll be back and running as well. Go listen on the podcast again. Search OutKick. You'll find it. I am Clay Travis. This is OutKick, the coverage. Thanks for spending your morning with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. 
Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.